welcome to Estradile Illusions. And we are back. It's been a while because of uh, surgery, coronavirus, internet problems, uh, all sorts of things. But we decided it would make sense to take a return journey to a place that is not infected with coronavirus. At least not that we know of. The island of Sodor. We are doing another episode dedicated to an old Thomas the Tank Engine VHS tape, also available on streaming. This one is Better Late Than Never, the final VHS collection to feature one Ringo Starr as narrator. But before we dive into that, we have a returning guest. We have uh, Tara is here with us. Tara, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you have been up to lately? Hello. Um... So if you keep up with our podcast of Thomas and I guess the Disneyland ones too, you would know that I am now a practicing attorney having taken the bar last year. And now in these uncertain times, I am working from home, which is an experience. Oh, yeah. Um, especially with Zoom conferences and remote depositions in our own office. Um full of very fun flags from around the world, posters, so opposing counsel now gets to see what it looks like in here. Uh, <laughs> when the programs that don't use Zoom don't allow you to change a virtual background. So it's been fun. For, in other words, Tara is basically saying opposing counsel gets to see my communist flags up on the wall. Also, the Morrissey poster was on view yesterday. Yes, the Smiths, A Bug's Life, the Care Bears movie. Hair. Not a very good movie, but I like the musical a lot. Anyway, back to Thomas. Better late than never than we re- that we return to Better Late Than Ever. Better Late Than Never has one of my favorite openings. I love the viaduct. It has a lot of work that's being done on it, which requires the engines to go slow, lest the viaduct collapses. But look, I, physics is not my strong suit. I have a master's degree in English literature and comparative literature, uh, but I don't really know if going fast on a viaduct is uh, more likely to make it collapse, less likely. I, I I don't know. I think they were maybe going a little bit too slow, maybe not. Uh, also noteworthy on the viaduct, we have Edward. Edward's pulling a couple interesting trains. First, he pulls Trevor the Traction Engine, who has not made his appearance yet. He has not been introduced. He's saved for the George Carlin era. But then there's also Edward then pulls a train that is half coaches, half freight. Very interesting. So it seems... Very efficient. Well, yeah, it's efficient. We don't really see that a lot, though. And it makes you wonder... uh, what kind of havoc the viaduct is uh, wreaking on this. Tara, look, just, just to take a bird's eye view of this episode for a second, not to go through it uh, sort of scene by scene, but what do you think the episode Better Lay Than Ever is about? What is this plot? I mean, it, it really <laughs> is broken up into, there are multiple plots going on. Um, I guess... At its heart, when the writers were thinking about it, they were probably thinking, how can we use the fact that these trains are running late as a plot device to then build tension as if there is not enough tension and interpersonal like feuding between not only the engines, but now the engines and the buses, everyone. 
Uh, so they wanted to just kind of say, okay, we're going to have people run late, even though people run late a lot in these episodes, causing lots of drama. Confusion and delay. Yeah. And so now there's something actually outside of their control causing them to be delayed. Yeah, it's this this episode really it, its central narrative is a total disaster. Uh, a disaster that you know the likes of which you would probably only see if you tried to speed the express past the viaduct. And they don't actually address how the express gets past the viaduct, but Thomas, now, a lot of the engines, you would expect on an island such as the island of Sodor, and in fact, the episode does make note of the fact that Sir Topman didn't want to just close down the railway, so it's taking a long time. You would imagine that on the island of Sodor, people would understand and they would know that the viaducts, that the construction was causing delays. And most of the engines seem to know this. They're frustrated by it. Somebody who doesn't really seem to care about any of that is Thomas, who is just savage to James, well, first to Henry and then to James, and he really does not give two flying shits. He doesn't give two flying kippers <laughs> about this uh, total disaster. He just, he he thinks they're dawdling at, about all damn viaducts. I mean... You know, maybe a tender engine might want to go a little slower than a tank engine on the viaduct. I don't know. It didn't seem like dawdling, but Thomas isn't the only one who's upset. Birdie is also upset. It takes the viaduct. You, you'd think you'd think that Bernie, Birdie, Bernie, <laughs> Birdie Sanders, the red bus. Um, you would think that Birdie would understand that a lot of these delays are happening because of the viaduct, but no, he uses the opportunity to imply that uh, he'd beat Thomas at a race because other engines are bad uh, on viaducts. What, do you think that was fair of Bertie? Uh, no. <laughs> was it fair of Tom? Who is more unreasonable in their viaduct savagery, Thomas or Bertie? I think probably Bertie because um, he's more removed from it. Um, so when there are delays, it affects him less. And so for him to be so upset about people being delayed, I, I think he has like less excuse for it. And Tom like he's going to be experiencing a lot of delays. That's just how it goes. Yeah. And Thomas is really making a lot of distinctions here to make sure that he is separate from the mainline engines who are, are supposed to be the ones who are totally responsible for this mess. Uh, the books do make uh, sort of branch line because you've got a couple of branch lines. You've got Edward's branch line, you've got Duck's branch line, and you've got, well, here, for our intents and purposes, we have just Thomas's branch line right now. But what's kind of interesting about this era, the Better Late Than Never, uh, what we saw with Thomas Breaks the Rules, and we see a little bit more of into the George Carlin era, and I guess right now I should do the disclaimer. If you're in England, these would be different. We're following the Americans. Obviously, you guys didn't get George Carlin as your narrator, but we had, you know, we, we you had Michael Angelis replace him. We had the guy who was responsible for the Seven Dirty Words skit, <laughs> which I think is probably the win. But what's interesting about that is you have Thomas, Percy, and Toby really do... There, there's a lot of degree of separation. Like, later on when... You got the mail train when you got people working at the docks. It's very unclear what engine is assigned where. They're just kind of all where they need to be. 
I mean, with some exceptions like uh, Boko or Bill and Ben, who are coming soon, but not just yet. Now, you got mainline engine, you got branch line engine. You pretty much know what everybody's job is. And Thomas is really ha- unhappy because he feels as though the mainline engines are letting him down. And Birdie, likewise, is mad because he feels Thomas is screwing him over. And really, the only thing that's keeping these passengers from getting, uh, the only thing that's keeping them getting home is the fact that uh, Thomas has a guaranteed connection, which always kind of makes me laugh because I hear uh, people, sometimes if you're landing on an airplane and somebody's got to like rush if there's any kind of delays and they're like, I don't know if it's a guaranteed connection, I laugh because I think of Thomas. So thank you to Better Late Than Ever for introducing the phrase guaranteed connection. So the episode progresses. Thomas is mad at James. Um, He puffs importantly away from James after claiming that he is a guaranteed connection. How do you think one puffs importantly away, Tara? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he he carries an aura. And, And also, Thomas does, at this point, have a great degree of importance that he feels because he's got the branch line, which is just, you know, Gordon may pull the express, but Thomas has a branch line, and that's pretty cool, and that puts him above, I guess, really, Duck, Percy, and Toby at this point. Not really any other tanks for him to exert superiority over, but he likes to. And he exerts superiority over Birdie because of the race. So, Birdie is broken down after Thomas leaves James. And this episode, the writers are really trying to tell us, they're really trying to sell the idea that it's a good thing that all the viaduct construction was happening because if there wasn't, Thomas wouldn't have been able to rescue Bertie's passengers and take them home. <laughs> yep. That, that that's, that's the moral. That's why I asked Tara what she thought this, this plot was because you've got first half of the episode basically People is... People mad. Yeah. Thomas Mad Viaduct makes everything slow as shit. That's the plot for the first half. Second half is Birdie's broken. Oh, thank God for all of this. And maybe being late sometimes is is not such a bad thing. That's what the that's what the episode really wants us to come away from all of this feeling. I it, it's I think part of why we like to return to Thomas as opposed to I don't know. So many other shows are really trying to shove morality down your throat. Thomas is is kind of like the person who asked you about morality once. You kind of were like, no, and then it moved on, and it didn't really try to stuff morality down your throat again. It just does such a weird. I, I don't. I don't really understand how a, a little child watching, and it. Part of part of the thing about the writing of the show is is it's really just kind of an excuse to look at these great models. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need, or, or the uh, intricate uh, explosions, the disasters that happen, uh, many of which happen later on in this tape. But uh, people, I, I don't think people are really tuning into the show for the writing. But if you're a little kid watching, I don't really know what you're supposed to take away from all of this. If your mom's saying like you're going to be late for school, you say, "But mom." If we're late to school, maybe there'll be a broken down bus full of people <laughs> we can rescue. What What is a child supposed to take away from better late than ever? Yeah, they're going to take away, I can be late. Yeah. Which no parent wants, no school wants. 
it's just the 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 whole thing just none of it adds up it doesn't make sense it's just it's fun i mean i love i love this tape we'll get into the ringo star sentiment sentimental stuff towards the end but uh this one really does kind of set up um it's a fun era of thomas and uh, do you have any do you have any other things to add tara about this particular episode um I think just as far as them having had a disjointed plot like that, they never explain why Birdie was broken down. They say like he had a steaming radiator, but that there was no cause for it. I think that it would have made a lot of sense in the narrative if we knew why this happened. And that could also like allow us to have more of a moral takeaway if we knew what was going on. Yeah. I mean, Birdie's kind of a patsy here for... Just here because the plot needs him to be. Because mm-hmm. they must have just kind of episodes just off. Vida closed. Where's the conflict? Oh, they also don't address the viaduct again in the rest of the tape. So a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, a lot of these episodes are really not meant to air uh, sequentially or in any kind of order. They were being split up for Shining Time Station, and then they were being compiled. So, uh, and actually, uh, a much a, a greater example of that later on with uh gordon and his famous ditch and thomas down the mine is uh those episodes are directly referenced much much later in the thomas meets the queen episode (laughs) which doesn't air for years and years later uh but happens in this it had that that one's like the kind of the end of the uh george carlin era and this is the end of the ringo star era and the george carlin era goes on for a long time they're not directly meant and also those two episodes, as it relates to the rest of this tape, uh, they could have, they probably were filmed uh, way earlier than the rest of them. No, uh, no engines aside from like the core ones that were introduced at the beginning. You've got Thomas Henry, I guess Percy at one point, but uh, all the sets. I don't think Duck had been introduced by the time that they were doing Down in the Mine. Uh, so these aren't meant to be totally in order. I guess the viaduct, the fixing of the viaduct not quite the plot hole that we would see but uh it is interesting that we don't i guess probably we don't see another time when like there's really heavy construction slowing mm-hmm. things down so that is that mm-hmm. is interesting it's clearly not california because this kind of thing happens all the time i mean we have multiple carmageddon's and just generally freeways could be under construction for years it seems like the construction never will be done here no so, I think on that note, we will go to the little mini trilogy that takes place within this tape. And this tape is very noteworthy because it introduces not only Diesel, but also the, the series has this sort of uncomfortable relationship with Diesel discrimination. Which is, uh, we, see the, we see the seeds of that planted in Pop Goes the Diesel. Which uh, starts off with Duck being pompous you know there are two great there are two ways of doing things there's a great western way and there's the wrong way doubt we know it and we've got within uh at least the first two of these episodes uh multiple instances of henry gordon and james just hanging out in multiple multiple places yeah they're just a little peanut gallery yeah i mean they're not really super main characters in this and they're also all kind of required to be together but you just we've talked about this in previous episodes but just it it, it bears repeating again you have 
in order for them all to be together, their fire drivers and firemen have to all like coordinate mm-hmm. and organize and bring. Maybe them they were all having together. a tea party. Yeah, what I the, think that's likely. What the hell were they doing? I I don't know, but um, so they bring in a diesel to help Duck, and Duck Duck has really just been introduced himself to help Percy, who uh, also has work to do on the the branch line and also building the docks. We got that great song, uh, so. Diesel comes, and Diesel wants to be revolutionary, a word that, that Duck does not... Duck has not apparently heard the word revolutionary before. He, <laughs> the revo... Whatever you said. Yeah. he He's very confused by it. And Duck... Duck doesn't really like Diesel, because Diesel... I mean, Diesel is kind of a... Diesel has an aura of superiority about him. Great superiority. Yeah, he's not exactly a uh, nice guy. And it's probably kind of understandable that uh, he would be... He's kind of like a fish out of water. And I think a lot of shows, children's shows in particular, I was trying to think of an example, but there is kind of this plot that happens where you've got... uh, The protagonist is wary because there's a new kid who comes and all all of their friends are... They like the new kid. Yeah, they like the new kid and... The main character is suspicious about them, and that episode usually ends with the person learning to overcome their own sort of feelings of reservation about a yeah. newcomer, or it turns out that they were right, and you know this is uh, complicated morality, but Duck, there's a lot to unpack here in, in the sort of the back and forth of the behavior between Duck and Diesel. Duck shows a little bit of uh, regret in Diesel's devious deeds, the the sort of the Empire Strikes Back middle chapter of this <laughs> trilogy, but a Duck really does kind of set this in motion by doing something that you know Sir Top of Matt doesn't believe that uh, Duck spread lies about the people. How about this? Duck had Duck created a huge mess because he wouldn't tell Diesel which were the right cars to pull, so Diesel ends up breaking a bunch, potentially killing people. And then there's this huge mess for everybody to clean up. Duck does not get in trouble for orchestrating that whole stunt. That seems a little bit just teensy, maybe teensy weensy bit more of a bigger deal than uh, spreading lies. What do you think about that, Dara? Yes. From the, like, this is actually dangerous. This is part of your job standpoint. Uh, What Duck did is way worse than just spreading rumors. But these tapes never care about that. They care about... (laughs) Who is being mean here? And the mean people actually rarely actually get in trouble. So it is interesting that people think that these rumors being spread by Duck, he's actually the one to get in trouble for it. Yeah. And Diesel, I mean, right from the start, he purrs, which is something like a shady person would do. I mean, he's got this deep voice. There's this kind of Eastern music that plays with him. He's the mysterious stranger. He's oily. He goes, you're worthy, Top. That's the top of hat to you. You're, you're worthy. He's almost got this seductiveness to him that captures all of the other engines with him. He's like a combination of Littlefinger and Varys from mm-hmm. uh, Game of Thrones. Yes, He's... yes. And he doesn't want to learn. He's revolutionary. And mm-hmm. for the rest, for the rest of Thomas, if you're somebody who still watches the CGI, which I don't, uh, Diesel's versus steam engines. There was one. Um, 
it's kind of right around the time that my sister was getting a little old for Thomas. Uh, Steamies versus Diesels. It really wasn't much of a big versus kind of thing, much like a lot of those aren't. Like Batman versus Superman's not really about them fighting all that much. Um, no, a little off topic. Uh, Diesels coming in to revolutionize everything is a plot that this uh, show returns to time and time again, so that does bear mentioning. But I guess when we set up, you know, you bring somebody in. When Duck comes in with Percy, I mean, Duck himself is kind of a revolutionary. He stages the strike. He's uh, returning all of the savagery that uh, Henry Gordon and James are showing him. I mean, Duck really could use with himself. Uh, he could use with some introspection, which is kind of what the uh, kind of what the narrative, the direction the narrative was pushing us in, in terms of the there's a great Western way and the wrong way. I mean, Duck is a guy who loves the smell of his own farts. I'll just say that. So, and then. If you watch closely with the sequence with the cars where Diesel is pulling them, uh, from an external angle, there's those old cars clearly, and, and when they're on the breakdown train also, they have no face. And yet as he's pulling them and Duck's watching and his Diesel's uninten- unintentionally murdering these, killing these people, nobody nobody cares. I mean, that's messed up. But they have faces there, and they're going, uh, and Duck's going, Arr. and then Diesel goes, don't you want these? And then Duck's like, sorry, I just made you kill all these people. For-. Duck, Duck's honestly kind of in the wrong here. I'll just say that, I think. Do you think he's in the wrong here? Yeah. I just, um, old empty freight cars needed to be killed. And Diesel's angry. And then they sing Pop Goes the Diesel. That was a great song. Yeah, Pop Goes the Diesel is a, probably one of the, one of the best songs that they have. It's very fun to sing. I wish, um, you know, it's a it's a great take on an old nursery rhyme. I think, uh, I wish that that song had played more in Diesel's future appearances, and he appears a few times. Does he ever get a name? No, no, and that's that's a good question. So uh, I think I'm almost positive. Yeah, I, I think I am. Po- Mavis, I think Mavis comes in the next tape, which I'm almost positive is Trust Thomas, and she would. She appears in the second one of that, second and third. Mavis gets a name. She's, I think the the also the first woman engine introduced. She's a diesel. Mm-hmm. Daisy is a diesel. Boko is a diesel. There's Derek the diesel. Uh, the books have an, another diesel called Bear, who is kind of like the... Boko works on in, uh, Edward's branch line, and Bear works on the main line. Bear does not appear in, I don't think, any of the any of the shows. And Boko hasn't appeared for a I know that I, I follow some meme pages. I know people are very upset Boko has not appeared on the show in a very, very, very long time. <laughs> so we'll just uh, mention that there. Boko doesn't appear here, though. Uh, just to answer your question, I'm trying to think. Uh, diesel number 10 is the closest to another <laughs> diesel... Who doesn't have a name, and he's the villain of Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which we're definitely gonna have to cover. I don't, I don't know when. Tara doesn't like that movie. It's so weird. It is weird, and it's got Peter Fonda. Alec. We'll cover Thomas and the Magic Railroad at once we're done with George Carlin. How about that? Because Alec Alec Baldwin is the Mister Conductor in that mm-hmm. Shining Time Station. Shining Time Station is I. If the episodes were easier to, if they were more readily available on streaming and online, we would totally do that. It is way too complex to make a podcast out of. <laughs> like these, we 
really grateful to all the listeners who tune in for these, and I'm surprised that these do about as well as our other episodes. I don't think Shining Time. I think that's way too obscure. <laughs> if you really want to see Shining Time, make some noise, people, but uh, I, I, I've got to draw the line somewhere. So, Pop Goes the Diesel happens after the big mess. And Diesel vows vengeance. And because these are only five-minute episodes, they uh, have to cut. Got to go see the engines again on the tape. And then we've got Diesel's Devious Deed. Do you have any more that you want to mention on Pop Goes the Diesel? These kind of bleed uh, into no. each other. The, that, that first episode, really not a lot happened. It was basically the introductory episode anyway. It's in the next two where you really get the story. And this is like... <laughs> the, well, it's funny you say that because the third one... The third one is kind of like Return of the Jedi minus mm-hmm. like even the Jabba the Hutt scenes. Like they really get straight to the end of, of 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 the. There's a lot of like weird resolution that happens between the end of Diesel's Devious Deeds and then a close shave for Duck. That all right? Well, we're we're jumping ahead a little bit. So Diesel's Devious Deed. We start off and Duck is very upset because he realizes he has he has a conscience and he realizes that Diesel's poor reception within the railway is largely his own fault. He has created this dynamic by tricking Diesel, getting the engines to to turn on him. And then he bumps the freight cars hard and there's there's this weird kind of classism that's displayed in this episode, and we see it a lot between diesels and steam engines, but here the steam engines are implying that they never talk bad about each other to the cars. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of code, like, we'll all duke it out between us, but we're not going to duke it out in front of the kids or in front of the bad guys or something. We're going to draw some lines here. We're trying to... The freight cars don't choose to be like that. They have even less free will than these steam engines do. I think the whole situation is is a little... It definitely makes you a little bit uncomfortable when you think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was interesting when we were watching the episode and I was like trying to think about the dynamic of like, why won't you talk about your personal issues in front of these people? At first, I was kind of in my mind comparing the freight cars to like the kitchen staff in many of the um, like Downton Abbey-esque shows that we watch. Um, there's many of them now. And it's actually completely the opposite because in those shows, the upper house people are actually free to talk about whatever they want in front of the staff. They just forget that they're there. Here, it's very conscious decision. We are not going to air the dirty laundry for these people. And I, you know, the engines, it's kind of accepted in this that the engines have their differences. I think, I think that's kind of lazy on their part to just kind of accept that as given. These engines are savage to each other. They're very, very mean to each other for seemingly no reason. Like, I don't understand why we're supposed to just say, okay, these people are mean to each other. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think. I think these people are just really rude to each other and they're they're very content to just kind of accept that as the way things are. I don't think they're the way things are or the way things have to be. So Diesel decides that he's going to get back at Duck by spreading lies to the cars. So it's established that you're that the engines are not supposed to talk shit about each other to the cars, and Diesel sees that as an opportunity to get back at Duck. 
So he sits and he comes up with uh, great insults that really do kind of set like ju- just as a he he comes up with these these insults to uh, refer to Henry Henry Gordon James the the triumvirate of uh, <laughs> savagery among tender engines. Uh, he calls Gordon a galloping sausage. Just 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 take a moment, think about. Galloping sausage for a second. Phallic imagery. Calls James. Rusty red scrap iron. And, which is actually kind of similar to old iron from the episode where James uh, is running away and Edward defies all odds. It's like an old Tom Cruise adventuring down the line. Saves him. And then Henry is apparently supposed to be really sad by old square wheels. Do you think that one's bad? Tara, what if somebody called you a galloping sausage? Yeah, I would be more offended at that one. But knowing how proud all of these tank engines are about their outside appearances and uh, just general pride at being fast and good at their jobs, saying that someone has square wheels, I can see that as like really cutting to the quick. Yeah, it is... uh... I, I don't know. Henry Henry is also like pretty sensitive. Henry like let's Henry's gay. We, we all know that. Everybody on the podcast they're talking now is gay. Too. My gaydar goes off every time I see Henry. It's it's very and and the engines were singing Pop Goes the D or the freight cars were still singing Pop Goes the Diesel at the beginning, which uh, I wish I would just love it. I always love it when an engine brings up James's in the leather bootlace. <laughs> I would just love it if like somebody saw Diesel and started singing that again. I think that would be super super fun. But uh so it's interesting to watch this episode in the post Me Too era because we have the situation where Duck is trying to go home from a long day and seemingly he's being blocked into the shed even though he's on the turntable and an engine can't really do anything to block him when he's on the turntable trying to go into his his little spot in the shed. I don't really see what a, what a tender engine would be able to do in that instance or sort of why their driver would be totally okay with potentially causing an accident just for engine spite. We don't see the driver and the fireman fighting with each other. It, it doesn't That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but Duck can't go in. He's upset. I don't know. How, how, do you do you think that they they were? I mean, I guess if we were to be as generous in uh, in this interpretation as possible, we could say they were inconveniencing Duck by way of uh, making it incredibly unpleasant for him to get rest in the shed. Beyond that, I don't know. Kind of, kind of a mess. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, it's not clear. <laughs> Well, they're also within this conflict talking about how they're so mad about the insults, and they're going, "We don't like Duck. We like Diesel." Like, why is Diesel being like forced into this narrative? If if he's really good at spreading lies and rumors, it shouldn't like so easily go back to him. That's a good point. Because they, I, I wrote down the exact quote. They said, "We're tired of you. We like Diesel. You tell tales to the cars." So they like explicitly connected Diesel and Duck together in regards to these rumors. Yes. Uh, interesting tidbit about this episode. 
In the UK, it's called Dirty Work instead of Diesel's Devious Dean. Maybe, like, I guess Dirty Work is almost more of a neutral title. Like, Diesel's obviously spreading lies here, but his sense of vengeance, it's not exactly misplaced, I'll say that. I don't know. Gobbling sausage. Or is that galloping? <laughs> Gobbling sausage. Oh, no. <laughs> galloping sausage. So, Sir Top of Matt finds the insults funny. He's trying not to laugh. But, you and, know, De- uh, Duck also did, too. He said, I wish I'd thought of it. Yeah, nobody's really taking this seriously. That's a good point. Nobody is taking this seriously. They find it funny. But then... Sir Top of Matt? Also, I mean, talk about he's an owner of these engines. He's supposed to be kind of their overlord. They say... No steam engine would make such a claim. That's that's within the confines of this episode. That's that's discrimination against Diesel. It's saying, oh, you're so dirty and slick and oily and you're worthy. You'll make such a claim, duck. It, it doesn't make any sense that... So Sir Dot Matt doesn't really believe it. He's allowing discrimination. And then his solution to this is, okay, the engines have made a claim. Duck has denied it. I'm going to punish Duck. It's kind of like victim blaming. I don't know. I mean, I, I, let's just try and unpack this. Because as I was saying that, I was thinking to myself, okay, Duck isn't the one making the claims, though. The other three engines are. So Duck has three accusers who have said that he was spreading lies about them, putting aside the fact that they got this information from the freight cars. But... There are now three accusations against Duck. And it's a he said, also he said, because this doesn't women in this thing. Uh, it's a he said, he said. And Sir Drop Matt responds by sending Duck to Edward Station. Now we do later learn that apparently he'd never believed them to begin with. Which leads you to question, why did he send him away? I mean, I, I guess we're, we're... I, I don't think the audience is supposed to feel entirely comfortable with the idea that Sir Top of Matt's response to this was to send Duck away. What do you think about that? No, he should not have done that from an employer standpoint. He should have investigated and figured out what was going on here. If he had a hunch from the beginning, it hadn't happened. And he made Duck cry, and the engines mm-hmm. never cry. Although there's one earlier where Thomas wanted to cry, and I'm not sure. I think oh, maybe he in was. this tape, there's also a point where Thomas has tears in his eyes. Oh, people are gonna stop crying. It's okay. It's okay, engines. Sir Duck leaves, and this episode ends kind of abruptly. It is. It's Empire Strikes Back. The the episode ends with uh, the villain ahead, but not for long, because we have a close shave for Duck. Which starts off with, I just love Edward. Edward, I've said this before, is my grandma's favorite. My grandma who has uh, who passed away a long time ago now. Going on 10 years, wow. Um, so go to Edward Station. Banished there. It's, it's odd that these engines have such little work that they have like a conflict. And Stop Master's like, oh, reassign. Doesn't Duck have things to do in the main main station? Why is he just like, why is it just okay for two engines to work out at Edward Station? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. So Duck is helping Edward 
with heavy trends, you could maybe argue that it would make more sense to just divvy them up and have the two of them take the freight cars elsewhere, but instead you have Edward pulling the train and then Duck pushing, but he's also backwards. Which I have to... It's just it's, it's a dynamic you, you really don't see in any other instance, and it really only makes sense from the perspective of Duck had to be facing that way for this whole runaway thing to happen. Because it just... Duck, Duck is facing behind him. Like, the whole going backwards thing just doesn't make any sense. The caboose also, the brake van, has a face in this, which we don't really see outside of Oliver's brake van toad, or we're getting close to the spiteful brake van, which I'm very excited for. That'll be... I, I, I think... I know that last episode I mentioned it. I'll mention it again. I'm really excited for the spiteful brake van. That's going to be a fun one. So Duck is... um. It's just so unclear how far Duck was away by the time the runaways happened because he's he's made aware of them for a while and yet they still catch up. So either this this line isn't that small, Duck can't go very fast. Uh, I, it remains to be seen how these brake fan like how they can achieve maximum velocity. I I don't really and know. And they don't have a driver either, so they're presumably just out there free falling on the road. Yeah, well they bumped they bumped their they bumped the conductor loose. The uh, towards the end of the episode, they do make that distinction. Yeah, it's it's odd, and um, it's also weird. This the, this episode, of the narration says that uh, Duck was he was moved to a, a siding where a barber has set up shop. It's just kind of like, oh, here's this abandoned building that this barber is randomly working in today, which doesn't make any sense the way they said that. And uh, we see a similar. This situation bears a lot in common to Thomas comes to breakfast. You have an engine that goes through somebody's house. Place of business in this instance. And the barber is not really that upset. He says, you frightened my customers covered in shaving cream and soot, sawdust. Uh, could have been blinded. We don't really know. Could have been killed. Could have been killed. Like, also, they broke down a wall. And I was noting in this that this was also a trolley problem with these tank engines. Because I, I think the better option would have been to stay on the main line and crash into the back of the train that had been in front. Because then they would have actually been able to stop. I think there would have been enough um, bulk in the previous train. Oh, no, that would have killed him. That would have killed the passengers. But would it have? Yes. That would have been really bad. Because they ran into this building and could have killed the um, inhabitants there. Um... I, like, I think, I don't know enough about the physics of it, but I think they would no. have been able to stop better without as much danger. Not straight into coaches. That would have been horrible. Plus, the like, freight cars are expendable within this, but you can't kill the coaches. The coaches would be blasted to smithereens. I don't think that's ever happened. You, I, I think they were right to redirect them into the siding because we don't also know for sure that the buffers aren't going to stop duck. They just didn't. I think the the odds of death there would be ma major casualties if they collided with another train. The siding was the right move. I would not crash <laughs> into the back of a coach. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page on that. <laughs> so, Duck crashes through and he says, Big pardon, sir. That guy doesn't want a big party. He just lathers his face in shaving cream. Do, can Duck get facial hair? I don't know. The whole thing and you know, he probably... Th these trains do get dirty. They go in some weird places. They're covered in dust and sit all the time. It, he probably would like to have that nice shave, even just for the feel of it, to get nice and squeaky clean. Just maybe not 
under these circumstances. Actually, because he did just crash through a wall, he probably did need it. Probably. Probably. And uh, they do like baths. Uh, it's mm -hmm. definitely a mess, the whole situation. And it's a mess that sees an odd kind of resolution. Because Sir Top Matt comes, and Thomas is there, and uh, Duck's like, Sir Top Matt says, well, how about you, wouldn't you like to come home? And Duck's kind of looking at him like, what about Diesel? Sir Top Matt's like, oh, I totally believed you the whole time. Diesel's gone. That seems like, I don't know, kind of anticlimactic. Were you really happy that Diesel's saga ended in that kind of way? Without even really an appearance in this episode? Uh, they really should have included more of the drama, as I'm sure it was a very dramatic uh, conversation between Sir Topham Hat and Diesel. Well, you had brought it up when we were watching it, but Duck's heroics here, it's not like he went out of his way to save the day. He was largely trying to not get killed himself. And he didn't divert them to the siding. Although, it, Tara would have much rather him collided with the coaches full of passengers. Uh, that, yeah, I mean, it, it really, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to Ducks, like, totally being celebrated here, although engines are constantly blamed a lot for crap that's not their fault either, so... If we wanna just totally be... If we're gonna be objective about everything, then maybe, uh, maybe it's not so bad. I don't know. I, I the diesel the diesel trilogy is always a fun one to to revisit, especially the morality of it. Duck Duck somewhat brought this upon himself, and uh, he got out of it. It's hard to think how long would Duck have stayed at Edward Station if those cars hadn't broken free? Because apparently, Sir Top Matt knew all the time. And it's not like it's not like the the conflict within this episode really served as like a great aha moment for Sir Topham Hat. It, it's just kind of confirming things that he knew already that uh, that this sly sort of oily Diesel was clearly the one lying to the cars. So Duck saves the day and all is well for reason. This is kind of like better late than never. You got the first half. Uh, if you look at the trilogy. Got the first half and the the second half, which together form kind of a story, but not not super cohesively. Did you like the Did you like the Diesel trilogy, Tara? I did. I I wanted more of Diesel though. After the first episode, he takes backseat, and then you don't see him. I don't think at all in the third. He was a really interesting character. I want to hear more of the the grand things that he has to say about himself. Well, he does return a few times, usually just to cause trouble. Actually, I think he does return next tape with, I'm pretty sure, uh, pretty sure with Mavis, he returns. It's, he's the sly guy. He's never really totally out of the picture, but, uh, he's a troublemaker. And, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe Diesels aren't too bad. Maybe they get a bad rap. I don't know. It's, it's a tough mess. Boko endures a lot of discrimination, uh, presumably really because of something that Diesel himself caused, but it's tragic, these poor engines. And that poor barber, I hope, we don't really, we don't see him again, but I hope that, uh, I hope he got his shot back, and I hope that guy got his shave with his, you know, probably covered in splinters and stuff. Mm. What a mess. Yep. What, which house do you think was more tragic, the barber shop or... Oh no, definitely the breakfast, that got ruined. You spoiled our breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. Anyway, 
Moving on to another, this isn't a trilogy, it's a, a bit of a duology. You've got uh, Gordon Takes a Dip, which clearly, uh, which clearly didn't, which clearly wasn't filmed after these. It was clearly filmed before. You've got only a few characters, and this is a Gordon episode. Gordon, Gordon wants to sleep at a busy station, and it's he, he keeps getting woken up, which one would probably say, gee, Gordon, maybe you should go to a shed if you want to take a nap. <laughs> but no, and he doesn't, Henry, it's his turn to pull the express, and Gordon doesn't seem super happy about it. It's also unclear if Gordon is going to pull a different train, why Henry even needs to pull the express. Why doesn't Henry pull the other train? And Gordon is also just like, we were just talking about how the engines were so easily pissed off by stuff. Gordon is just, like, furious. Henry goes up to him. Hello, lazy bones. I mean, is that really that much of an insult? I'm sure I've said that to Tara before, and she doesn't really get mad. But uh, Gordon wants to bring up... There's something that's kind of interesting. So Gordon brings up the flying kipper. Just like the bootlace, that kind of stuff. But it does make you wonder how long these engines have been around. Because Gordon makes a big deal for the first half of this episode about how he's never had an accident. Which kind of makes you wonder, gee, how long have you guys really been here if, you know, you the, the other people have these accidents which we saw, but did nobody have an accident before? It's kind of like in the beginning of, of, of uh, Captain America's Civil War, they show the montage of all the things that have happened since the Avengers came, and the Vision correctly notes that since Tony Stark came out of the closet as Iron Man, that all of this stuff has happened. So, within Thomas the Tank Engine, since they started filming the lives of these engines, it seems as though their lives have gotten exponentially worse because these engines didn't have accidents beforehand. And you can't just say, oh, well... Maybe the whole uh, railway started before. That's clearly not the case. A few of these people had been at it for a long time, like Edward, Henry, Gordon, and Thomas. But I digress. Do you have anything to add on that front with uh, Tony Stark and, and, and Thomas Tank Engine? No. So Gordon is asleep. He's too tired. Edward has to push him. That's like, like, a, like a teenager like making their grandmother force them to get out of bed. It's really pathetic. Gordon, I don't know why. It, it's unclear. So Edward has to push Gordon. Why can't Edward, Why can't Gordon's driver just be like, okay, Gordon, it's time to move. You don't want to? Tough fucking shit, dude. We're moving because they don't have free will. Which is, is tough here because, uh, well, actually, I mean, really, between this episode, Down the Mine, and The Runaway, we see really both sides of the equation of engine free will. Uh, Gordon and Thomas can both apparently have some free will, which will get them into trouble. But when Thomas doesn't have a hard on on his brake, he's screwed. It's interesting. Th isn't it a little inconsistent? You don't think that you do you think that's inconsistent, Tara? I don't have an opinion about consistency. I just <laughs> I love all of the the phrases. Why is there a spot of rail on the turntable that leads directly, there's no buffer, there's nothing, into a ditch? For the risk of it. Maybe they just want to get really close to... I mean, they call it a ditch. It looked more like a pond. It's almost picturesque. Oh, that looks like a ditch. It seems like water. That looks like a stinky ditch. <laughs> it's horrible. 
So well, maybe is it possibly like a trash garbage? No, area? it's not a trash garbage. I mean, because it smelled. I'm like, why is this here? Then it's a ditch. Ditches smell. Of what? It's marsh. Yeah, it's, marsh is water. It's a ditch. <laughs> I I'm not here to explain ditches to the audience. Everyone knows what I'm saying. So he goes in the ditch full of water. And smells, and there's probably malaria in there, and there's Gordon now has coronavirus. <laughs> he tries to jam the controls. He ends up there because he doesn't want to pull a freight train. I don't know. Would you rather spend the day in a ditch or pull a dirty freight train? Mm, well, given that he came out of the ditch smelling for a while, probably I'd rather just do my job and pull the freight trains. Interesting. I guess I probably would feel the same. So... I, I, I guess a, a question to to return to the ditch. Why is there a ditch next? Why? Wait, somebody should have drained the ditch. <laughs> that that would be interesting because it's also like it, it's clearly kind of dangerous to have this ditch right there. Also, why would you build rails into the ditch? I know I just said that, but it really need, we need to say that again. And so John Matt is just sitting there laughing, saying like, "All right, Edward, you pull the train." We'll leave Gordon in the ditch until we get some rails, and we'll pull him out. And the uh, there's boys there, and they've got another song. Twice now we've got musical accompaniment. Silly old Gordon fell in a ditch, fell in a ditch, fell in a ditch. Silly old Gordon fell in a ditch all on a Monday morning. So he's got he's got his malaria, and James looks like he's really like stoned when they're pulling him out. His eyes are all like facing the ceiling. He's rolling. He took a lot of Molly. I mean, talk about talk about morals in Better Late Than Ever. Gordon begins the episode lazy as shit and then ends it in a ditch. I, what are what's a child who's watching this supposed to learn from that? Not a lot. I, I just don't. I I don't I don't know what the what the what the value of of this this narrative. I mean. You could combine it with Down in a Mine and form, like, well, Down in the Mine kind of has its own independent moral. It kind of builds on this. This one doesn't necessarily really have a moral. It is a total disaster. And I don't, I don't get, I I just don't understand really why this episode uh, exists. And just just for a little bit of continuity, uh, these two episodes were the final ones of the first season, while the other ones were part of the second season. So that would explain the American VHSs followed Shining Time Station's release. I was about to sing the Growing Pains theme song after Shining Time, because that starts off with, Show me that smile again. No, it does, but uh, I won't keep seeing that. So it's just it's it's interesting that we found this uh I bring that up mostly because this episode and and down the mine I I just keep thinking of the Thomas meets the Queen one which just happens much I guess we'll talk about that at the end of of down in the mine total uh total mess it doesn't doesn't make sense the flying kipper also I mean it's nice, I guess, to build off Flying Kipper continuity a bit. So Henry, Henry went to crew afterward. He got his new shape. It is nice that he's pulling the express afterward. 
Because James normally pulls the express. We've talked a lot about that in our James Learns the Lesson tape. So just to, just to dump a lot of like continuity stuff in the end. Because this episode, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no moral. If you're a child looking to learn something from uh, Gordon Takes a Tip, there's nothing to learn here. So uh, do you have anything to, to add to that, Tara? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, it was it was an unfortunate situation, like many others, where like maybe he couldn't have gone down that path, but it wasn't his fault, really, at the end of the day. Yeah. So, Down the Mine actually does have some morals. So, we start the episode, Thomas has Annie and Clairebel, and Gordon's there, and Thomas is playing a joke. He keeps saying, do you smell a smell? Maybe he doesn't actually smell the smell because Annie is unable to identify the smell. And Well, Gordon probably wouldn't know the smell because he's been going around uh, by himself. But Thomas says, oh, actually, the smell is ditch water. It's you, which means that it's either he's t- playing a joke or Gordon's driver is really bad at giving him a bath. <laughs> so... Anne and Clarabelle are ashamed of his rudeness. And they have great respect for Gordon. Is it kind of odd that they have great respect for Gordon? Why would you have great respect for Gordon in this kind of instance? Do you have great respect for Gordon? No. Not really. It's kind of like they're saying they respect him because he's big. Mm-hmm. I mean, which, it's a slippery slope. Like, are women supposed to respect men who are well-endowed? That's basically what this is implying. what? Well endowed. Oh no! That's really what this is. Really, where this is going? It's very. It just it, it's inappropriate that they would just respect this man who had who naps next to the shed. He, mm-hmm. I mean, naps next to the station. He doesn't deserve anyone's respect. So, Thomas sees a board that says "danger," and there's no there's no buffers. There's not nothing. The miners who are digging for lead, they don't. They don't establish, like, any sort of safety guidelines. They're just a board. Which, if you're a driver inside Thomas, that board from up there is probably pretty damn hard to see. Yeah, it was very small off to the side. Nothing else really to tell you not to proceed. And Thomas just sees this board. It's like telling a kid not to touch something. They're just going to want to spend their whole lives trying to touch the thing. That's, uh, That's the world we live in. And they, as a result, Thomas decides to jerk himself forward in direct contrast to the events that happen next episode, where he has no control over his body at all. And he falls down the ditch, the mine, which is just basically a dry ditch, a Mm -hmm. ditch that had been drained of its lead. And Gordon, let's give credit where credit is due. Gordon is just basically laughing. It's not like he doesn't want to help Thomas. He's just basically like, karma's a bitch, dude. I'm going to make fun of you now. But instead of making fun of him, really, he extends an olive branch. And he says, we must form an alliance. An alliance that we really don't see anything about. Because they're both in disgrace. Which does get directly mentioned with the Thomas meets the Queen one. And in the books, they're a lot closer together, but... This, they're just years apart. Falls down the mine. Gordon pulls him out. There's basically no one there. There's no crew. There's no breakdown train. They do mention that there can't be a breakdown train because that would be too heavy for that area. But Gordon pulls him out. Strap Matt, the driver, and the fireman are basically all that's there. And, I mean, that's kind of a wrap for the episode. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, as far as morals go, you've got Thomas. Basically, the lesson is don't be a dick, Thomas. What goes around comes around. But beyond that, there's also just the idea that uh, maybe if you see a board that says don't do something, maybe you shouldn't do it. So if you're out there, kids, and you see a board that tells you not to walk past something, don't walk past it. It's very dangerous. <laughs> I I can't wait. I uh, On the top of my head, I haven't really seen the episode order, so I don't really know what's coming next. But I know this alliance is bullshit, and I'm going to point out the bullshit alliance at uh plenty of uh, plenty of points down the road. I have something to say especially about the alliance standpoint. I thought it was very interesting in the language aspect of this episode, they used both alliance and allies, which I think is nice lesson for kids to learn different words and conjugating them. Um, I don't know how many kids at Thomas watching age would really know the word alliance, but now they get two forms of the word. But they don't actually see what happens with it because we don't see this alliance actually take place in the next episode. Yeah, it's... Uh... Good words there. Lot, lot for, uh, lot for a kid to learn. Mm -hmm. And you know, earlier, they, get, they get to learn some great insults to use on their friends with revolutionary. Also, yes, they learn revolutionary, and now alliance and ally. Yeah, it's uh, some good stuff there. Which brings us to the final episode on this tape. An odd one. The Runaway is an odd one. A lot of these, a lot of these last ones, I guess, with tapes, they kind of need to. Well, most of these episodes don't really have a ton of continuity. This is a rare one where five of the seven episodes have links to other episodes. But it, the tape is bookended by standalones. So we have The Runaway, where Thomas is, through no fault of his own, he's just sick. They can't, they can't make him better. He has to go away, which is an excuse for Duck to go spend time with Percy, who he knows. Yeah, he takes all of his friends. Yeah, but... I mean, Thomas and Duck are kind of like rivals in a, some way in the sense that they're kind of like the two strongest tank engines, but we don't see that dynamic a lot. They don't fight with each other, which is good. Duck's excited to go help out. Duck gets his own branch line later. He doesn't get it now. Um, Terrence says hi, and Terrence is probably, Terrence has probably the, the worst personality, not, he doesn't have a bad personality. He just has like, Terrence basically has zero personality. And I can't really think of a lot of instances where he even gets speaking lines, let alone, like, does anything beyond his first episode with Thomas and the Snowplow. Like, he's just... he's Terrence the Tractor is such... Terrence the Traction Engine. I know I said that wrong. Trevor is a tractor. Terrence is the Traction Engine. Trevor has way more of a personality. Terrence has no personality. He's a very boring man. So he says hi. Annie and Clarabelle like Duck's manners. I mean, Thomas. Thomas is kind of like like the boyfriend who you're you're like you love, but you're kind of embarrassed by sometimes. And then Duck's like Duck, Duck's like a great example of like what your man could be. Great. There's a great Western way, and then there's a wrong way. I'll let you decide what that means. Dun dun dun. So Thomas is pleased, although his handbrake is stiff. His, he's got a stiff heart on. They literally say these things. 
They do. They use hard on a lot of times. I don't want to take the low hanging fruit, but the low hanging fruit is a hard on. So he keeps overrunning the platform with with the hard on he shoots his load on the on the platform. <laughs> it's true. These are things that happen. So then Thomas's fireman gets ill. Do you think Thomas's fireman caught what Thomas had? I think they all got corona. They all got They might have gotten it from the mine. Or the ditch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Gordon... There's something going around. Birdie was sick in the beginning of this tape, too. Oh, that's right. That's a good point. That's true. A lot of sickness in this episode. Just weird sickness. Not... And don't forget that, like, Gordon was just, like, wanting to sleep. I think he was sick. Right. Boiler ache is a uh, condition that's talked about later on. But for these episodes, they're just randomly sick. Mm-hmm. And it's like a day use ex... It's not really a Deus Ex Machina. It's a very convenient. Thomas barely talks in this episode. He's he's he he's. We could call him the main focus without necessarily referring to him as the main character, because he he's not really the subject. He's more of the object of the series, of of this episode. So, the brakes are not hard on. And for some reason, the fire, I, I don't really get, oh, the relief man is there so that Thomas, so that he doesn't know about the breaks. And somehow they don't tell the relief man, like, instantly, dude, we got a problem. So, uh, Thomas goes off. And there's not a lot of suspense here. You've got the mustache suspend, uh, you've got the mustached inspector who is flying around at Harold. But Thomas is not, like, out of control. He's moving at a, like, decent speed. In fact, even by the end, he's basically slowed down. But we've this is the third runaway episode we've seen. We've got Percy runs away, and then we have Old Iron with James, where the controls were fiddled. Those were both high-octane episodes. Gordon almost hits Percy. And Edward, you've got a point where, where the, the fireman has to jump from Edward to uh james and he's got his uh he's got his coil of noose or noose he's got his noose thing and he's got his shunter's pole so i mean that's really intense that's intense stuff this is this has a helicopter and yet it's the helicopter not helicopter didn't really do anything i don't get what his point was he didn't stop in front of the tracks i guess that's sort of true and yet at the same time i i guess they probably included harold's to differentiate it from the other ones. It- you know what the helicopter should have done? They should have had the driver and fireman inside, and you hover over Thomas, and you lower them down and get him to stop that way. Yeah, he doesn't jump from here. And Thomas is going slow at the point where it's the end of the episode. Yes. So you could imagine that it was maybe possible for um, for him to be able to do that, but... Uh, instead, you've got a rather anticlimactic situation where the inspector just, uh, you know, Thomas goes slowly past the station. And the inspector is able to climb into his uh, cab and get him hard. So that he'll stop. He scrambles into the cab to get him hard before mm-hmm. he gets there. It's. Oh, and then he basically kind of punishes Thomas afterward and says, like, basically, like, we can't let this happen again, Thomas. Like, this isn't Thomas's fault. 
it, it's just it's kind of a mess I, I don't this episode is is there's not a lot to this episode it's it's kind of silly you get some fun duck stuff in the beginning and then you've got like a pretty nondescript runaway race scene that that doesn't super duper go anywhere that super doesn't need to happen it's kind of fun in the panorama. You see Harold sort of flying around. I think some stock footage from his uh, race with Percy used. I don't know. I, I always think it's kind of impressive when they use the Harold things as opposed to the uh, trains. But I don't know. So it's This episode is kind of a... Uh, it's not the greatest episode they've ever had, that's for sure. What did you think of the episode, Tara? Are you talking about like this specific episode? The or Runaway. The, the Runaway. It, they, there's just, with how often that these things happen, why don't they plan for it more? And just it goes back to the concepts we discussed at the beginning of our Thomas podcast about like the autonomy of these trains. A lot of times it seems that they can start themselves and yet they clearly can't stop themselves, which are like big problems. Without right. his people, he can't do anything. They're basically only capable of like jerking twitches, mm, and that goes okay. that goes mm-hmm. to for the freight cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, it, it it makes sense as a point of consistency within the series, but I mean, even that's not super duper. It's not really. It's a. It's kind of a consistent inconsistency to uh, bring up some. Uh, if anybody understands what that means, I don't actually really understand what that means, but. The whole uh, free will situation, as Tara mentioned, it is very interesting. And we saw really two sides of the quesadilla on this one. It didn't make a ton of sense. But uh, Better Late Than Ever is a fun, fun collection. Uh, If we want to do the sappy uh, Ringo Starr stuff, uh, I'm sad. I think part of why there was a delay between uh, the last episode and this one Beyond everything else that's been happening in the world. I didn't really want to say goodbye to the Ringo Starr era. I like Ringo Starr a lot. I like George Carlin a lot too. And we've committed to doing the Alec Baldwin. I think we've kind of loosely committed to doing the rest of the model trends. I don't think we will do the CGI. But it's a fun era. And beyond, well, okay, let's talk about Ringo just for a sec. I always liked Ringo's voice because he had that sort of thick British voice. Uh, George Carlin was somebody I was more familiar with, not not because of his inappropriate stand-up comedy, but because of Shining Time Station. Now, they were both on Shining Time Station, but George Carlin was on Shining Time for a lot longer. And so I was born in 1991. Uh, the George Carlin episodes, not only were there more of them, but those would have been in more of uh in more circulation for uh pbs but i always it was always kind of cool uh if you guys remember a really long time ago i was in third grade when uh they released that beatles one album the one with the red with the yellow one on the front that was all their number one hits that sold super duper well and it kind of reignited a beatlemania uh, or Beatles, revi- Beatles revival thing. I was really little at the time, and people just loved it. And it was cool that their drummer, who sang a lot of the funnier songs like Octopus's Garden or 
with a little help from my friends. And that's a fun song, maybe not funny. So it was really cool. That I was like, oh shit, that's Mr. That was Mr. Conductor, and I mean, we saw that totally uh, with George Carlin later. And we're like, oh, Mr. Conductor does dirty, filthy comedy, and then also, uh, you know, the George Carlin successor in America is now uh, playing Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. It's mm-hmm. wild. It's wild the people they got to be Mr. Conductor. And what I also like about the Ringo Starr era is it was an intimate time for Thomas. We only have, I guess, the later the later seasons. I don't know. I'm not as big expert on newer Thomas, but I know they emphasize the steam team and sort of the core group, uh, the numbers one through eight. The people who went with uh, Thomas and the special letters, the, the first eight numbered people, I guess we can name them Thomas. Thomas, Gordon, Henry, James. That's four. Percy, Toby, Duck, Edward. I didn't name them in order, but you get the idea. Duck would be last. Those are the eight kind of core ones. These tapes all kind of focused on them. No Mavis yet. No Bilbin, Boko. I mean, from here on out. And and also kind of for these, you get, you know, new engines are introduced all the time. That's true of the books. It's not just to sell toys. Although later it becomes increasingly to sell toys. <laughs> It's a fun little kind of simple, quieter era of Thomas. And I say that we had three runaways during the Ringo Star era. We had uh, two two houses were crashed into. It's fun. I mean, we do this because of nostalgia. Tara does it mostly because she loves me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she likes them too, though. Uh, we do them because uh, they're fun, but they also they hold up. Not every ch- children's show holds up. Thomas, I think, holds up very well because it's fun. The engines are savage to each other. They're mean. It's very fun to dissect this stuff. But uh, the Ringo Star era, Tenders and Turntable is my all-time favorite. I've said that many times. I love James. James Lund's lesson is also really high up on that list. Uh, Thomas breaks the rules. And also, never better late than ever. This is a great tape. It's got uh, some of the most iconic episodes down in a mine. Uh, Gordon takes a dip. All the, the diesel ones. Those are... Well, Diesel appears a lot, and then, you know, Ditchwater and all of that is mentioned again. It's, um, it's fun, and, uh, we've got a lot of fun tapes ahead. The George Collin ones are a lot of fun, too. Uh, sometimes they get a little silly, uh, but (laughs) Percy's Scarf, (laughs) Percy's Ghostly Trick, Wooly Bear, all the Percy fun stuff. The one where they get all the jam stuck all over them, Thomas and Percy. Yuck. Anyway. I think that's probably a good note to end on. Do you have do you have closing thoughts on the uh, George Collin era, T Bell? He has a very good voice for narrating these. Uh, I do like I do like him. They were fun tapes. He does. It's just it's soothing. He's got good character in his voice. He sings well. Mm-hmm. We had three songs. We had yeah. the Harold and uh, the Harold and Percy Ray song. Then we had Diesel. Pop goes the Diesel, and then. Silly old Gordon fell in a ditch, <laughs> fell in a ditch, fell in a ditch. Anyway, we are just rambling now. So um, we will uh, be back sooner this time around for, uh, I'm almost, I, I, yeah, Trust Thomas is next. I'm almost positive about that. That'll be fun. And uh, that's a really good one. Mavis is funny. We'll talk a lot about the, tr- the show's treatment of women with Mavis. And then we got Daisy not too far after that. That'll be fun. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time.